0: Holy Spirit, thank you for this time that we have where we've gathered to worship the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to receive your word today. And God, lead us, guide us in this moment Strengthen us in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Matthew 6. Our um, we've been if you if you're just kind of jumping in with us today, we're reading uh, we're teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and so that's where we've been at uh, the last few weeks, and that's where we'll be at um, until we finish teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and um, we have made it to chapter 6. And I'm going to cover verses 1 through 18 today. What I want to do is I want to read that to us um, so that we get the understanding of what we're talking about today, and then we are going to just dive right into it. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, you can read this along with me as I read it out loud. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words." Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation But deliver us from the evil one for if you forgive others their offenses your heavenly father will forgive you as well but if you don't forgive others your father will not forgive your offenses whenever you fast don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people truly i tell you they have their reward but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others but to your Father who is in the secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right. So this section of the Sermon on the Mount contains a general principle and three applications to that principle. Okay. The principle we pull out of Matthew 6, 1, right? Let's put Matthew 6, 1 right back up on the screen Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The principle is this. Correct actions with improper motives do not bring us closer to God. They do not please God. Correct actions, improper motives... We may receive rewards, but these will not be rewards from our Father in heaven. And so right off the bat, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, and if you remember our teaching just from a couple weeks ago, you would maybe think that what we just read, this principle, is is potentially in conflict with what we read in Matthew 5, 16, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Give in secret. (laughs) Let your light shine. Pray in private. Let your light shine. Don't let people know that you're fasting, right? Let your light shine. Don't practice your piety in front of other people. How do we reconcile these two things? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Show your good works, but also do this in secret. The key part to help us understand this teaching and what Jesus is getting at, where we can really unlock what this principle means is in verse two. I think we could pull out in chapter six, verse two, it says um, that there's this line, to be applauded by people, right? So whenever you give alms in your giving, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others, so that they may be applauded by people. See, you can give in front of others to be seen, you can give in front of others without wanting to be seen you can give in secret and want to be seen you can give in secret and still be seen the principle here is the motive saint john chrysostom has this quote of commentary on this verse saying about jesus he jesus is not focusing simply on the outward act done, but the inward intent. And so yes, we should let our light shine before others and do good works. It is, Jesus expects us to practice godly righteousness in front of people so that we may glorify our Father in heaven, right? But there's the key. Are we glorifying our Father in heaven or are we living for the praise of man? what is our motive? Jesus is dealing with the inward action of the heart. We can give and want to be seen. We can give and not want to be seen. What is the posture of our giving? What is the posture of our prayer? How we approach spiritual disciplines the motive behind it is what matters. And Jesus gives a challenge to all who would seek reward from man and not our Father in heaven. George Whitfield has this quote in one of his messages. He says, before you could speak peace to your heart, you must not only be sick of your original and actual sin but you must be made sick of your righteousness, of all your duties and performances. There must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self-righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of our heart. There's another quote from Hans Urs von Balthasar. Here is a man Sinless, because he has lovingly allowed the Father's will full scope in his life. This is from his commentary on prayer, a book on prayer. Here is a man, Jesus. He's sinless. Why? Because he has lovingly allowed the Father's will complete, full, total scope into his life. And so here we find, we we have this principle, correct actions with improper motives does not bring us closer to God. But the key to understanding how we unlock this principle and how we approach spiritual disciplines, the foundation of our practices of giving, of praying, of fasting, is the knowledge that the God we give on behalf of that we pray towards and we fast towards is a father full of grace, mercy, and love. Amen? Without that understanding, we operate out of insecurity, out of pride, out of shame, out of self-service and hypocrisy. We have to understand all of these things, these spiritual disciplines, this principle through the lens of a father-child relationship, not a boss-employee relationship. Think about it for a moment. If you are a child in a family, either through adoption or biologically, you didn't apply for the position, right? Some of y'all are like, I would, if I did, I'd like to get my application back, all right? This is my two weeks notice, all right? I'm leaving the family, all right? Y'all have, where is HR, all right? I am out of here. See, I didn't do a 90-day review with my kids to see if the relationship was working out. And to be honest, I'm still not sure, but here we are. And it's not so much them, it's me, right? Tim Keller says, God is creator, so he owns you. God is the king, so he rules you. But if a king is a father and you are a child, then all of that, powered, all of that power is gentle towards you and exercised in love and tenderness towards you. Think about it. We have a creator, we have a king, But this king, this creator, is a father. He he has all the power, but he has all the love and tenderness and gentleness. He has full right as king, full dominion, and he exercises it in a gentle tenderness towards us as his children. Pastor Mark said it today, and he says it over and over again. We are the children of God. We're not the adults of God. That's... uh, that's it, we, we unlock this verse, our approach to spiritual disciplines by understanding the father-child relationship, not a boss, and employee. See, this teaching of Jesus that he gives us, it should cause us to ask this powerful question. Can we ask ourselves today, is my relationship with God transactional or transformational? Can we ask ourselves today, is my approach to God, is it transactional or is it transformational? Our giving, our praying, our fasting, the three things that Jesus mentions in Matthew six, but even our worship, our church attendance, our Bible reading can quickly become transactional. We give so that we can convince God to give to us or so that we can feel better about ourselves or be seen as holy. We pray, twisting God's arm, demanding he do what we say because we want our will to be done, not his. Or we pray, hoping to say the right combination of words that will unlock God's divine interaction. We may fast, hoping we can manipulate God into action. Maybe he'll feel sorry for how hungry I am and finally do what I want him to do. We worship singing each song again, hoping that if we sing that chorus loud enough or enough times, the Holy Spirit will finally come and visit us. Church attendance may be a box that we check. It becomes as routine as taking the trash out each week. We wheel ourselves down the driveway, and when our junk has been emptied, we wheel back just to be filled with more junk until next week. My biggest stumbling block when reading the Bible is that too often I read God's word only thinking about what, I, what, I, what I'm reading and how it can be used in a sermon. And I love preaching, but if my Bible reading is only about preaching, then I've made God's word only about what it can do for me and not about how it can draw me towards him. I'm laying my soul bare before you this morning so that we can all honestly ask, is my relationship with God transactional or is it transformational? I could go on with examples. I'm shining light on myself here today and possibly some of us, not to shame, not at all. I simply want us to have this message from Jesus permeate our hearts. Because if our spiritual disciplines are transactional, if our giving and praying and fasting is transactional, then we miss the whole point of these spiritual disciplines. That is communion with God, our gracious, kind Father. Correct actions with improper motives do not bring us closer to God. Jesus is showing his disciples through this teaching that many of the religious leaders of their time were too focused and motivated by being seen as a good person. I fall into that trap often, regularly, more than I want to admit. I want people to know me as a good person. And this causes me and this causes many of us to perform our spirituality for others. Pastor Mark says it all the time. Church is not where we come to display our goodness. It's where we experience his goodness. Another quote from Tim Keller, and get this in your spirit today. If you have a family relationship with God then your self-image is not based on being a good person, but on being a loved person. Is your focus on being just a good person or a loved person? Because I'm going to tell you something. Me attempting to be a good person trips me up over and over and over again. and It's left me wrung out and tired and frustrated and exhausted. The shift we need to make is the shift from a good person to a loved person. A good person is good until they fall. A good person is good until they're criticized, till they experience loss. A loved person experiences all of those things and remains unconditionally loved through it all. Through and through, loved to the innermost part of their being. <sighs> Do you attend church so God or others will see you as a good person? Or are you a loved person that is moved by love for God and the body of Christ? And so each week you gather here in joyful expectation each week to worship and fellowship with God together with the family of Christ. Motivation, motivation, motivation. My old marketing mentor at the University of Georgia would always say the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jesus is not telling his disciples, hey, don't be like those people. They don't give. They don't pray. They don't fast. That's not what he's saying. The people that Jesus is telling his disciples about not to be like, they do pray. They do give. They do fast. They actually do a lot of giving and praying and fasting but their motivation is receiving human praise not communion with their heavenly father it's because they're performing for a boss they're trying to impress their peers jesus makes the assumption all throughout matthew 6 that we will give that we will pray that we will fast each time he says when you give When you pray, when you fast, we miss the rewards that God, our Heavenly Father, has for us when we have the wrong motive. Skim through Matthew 6 with me. Verse 4, what does it say? We find your Father will reward you. In verse 6, your Father will reward you. In verse 8, your Father knows what you need. In verse 18, your Father will reward you. All throughout, we see our Father will reward. Our Father will reward. Our Father, He knows what we need. Our Father. Focus your heart on your Father. Pray to Him. Worship Him. Give unto Him. Fast towards Him not for the praise not trying to earn brownie points in heaven not trying to earn your way into heaven not trying to 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 cause god to be impressed with you or others to be impressed with you it's communion with god it's moving in relationship with god is public worship wrong public prayer if i get caught giving to someone do i lose god's reward Is in secret the only way to get rewarded? Again, Jesus is teaching that relationship with him should not be motivated by impressing others. So whatever motivates you will reward you. Whatever motivates you is what will reward you. Your motivation is going to be the thing that hands you your reward, and that's why Jesus says they've already received their reward. They wanted to pray out loud to be seen with the intent of being seen, and so they were seen, and there's their reward. But our Father has a reward in store for us, and if we would shift our our motivation, our focus, our intent towards him, There's a reward that he has for us that goes far beyond any reward that you could give to me or I could give to you. And so there will be times when my giving is public. My prayers are seen. My good works should shine. We should let our light shine before others so that others may see our good works and glorify our father in heaven. But if I'm cultivating a secret life of devotion to God, I am cultivating the right motive. You hear me? If I'm cultivating a secret relationship with God, then I am cultivating the right motive, a pure heart that desires glory given to God in all things. Matthew 5, I mean, Matthew 6, 2, Jesus says, do not sound a trumpet when giving. This is Jesus using metaphor to say, don't toot your own horn. Matthew 6, 7, talking on prayer. Jesus says, don't throw up empty phrases. Don't babble on and on. See, the Gentiles in his day, and even some of the Jewish leaders, they thought that the more words and use of certain words would earn them favor with the gods. And so this is transactional. It's not relational. Um, parents, right? Uh, I know I've been here. So you know kind of walking into the living room as a kid tiptoeing around We're already having rehearsed in my in my bedroom the thing that I want to ask my my dad or or my mom right and I'm thinking okay if I ask it this way Maybe, you know, and, and last time I asked it this way and it was a no, so if I ask it this way and I also bring up the fact that, hey, by the way, I've also been, you know, and so you're you, right, you, you, you parents, you've had your kid just sort of come in and they're just like, they're really circling around the thing that they're asking, Right. It's just like a march around like what they actually want, you know, and it's like, and you know, and I was thinking, you know, because, you know, and honestly, if you think about it, it's been a long time and and it's like this whole case like sort of being made. And, and, you know, I remember often my mom and my dad, what do you want? What do you want? And my dad would say it all the time. You have not because you ask not. What is it? I could tell you want something. What is it? Right? And so our heavenly father is just asking us to come and approach him as a a good father. Right? And now let's kind of like look at this a little bit more nuance. Some of you tiptoed because dad was, well, not approachable. Right? And so some of you just knew not to even ask. Right? Don't disturb dad. Dad's in his chair. TV's on. Don't even... Don't even ask, right? And that's maybe affected and given you a transactional relationship with your heavenly Father. And so, God, are you too busy? Are you in your chair right now? You think you have some time for me? Let me, make, let me build my case, God, for why I need you to heal me. God, let me build my case for why I need your strength right now. The case has been made. I think the case has already been made. Jesus made that case on the cross. There's nothing I can add to that. So I can just approach my father. Because I have a demonstration of his love. He loves me. And that, that just is what it is. <laughs> He's not the one that needs to change. I do. And so that's why I pray. Father, change me. And that's why I give. Father, change me. And that's why I fast. Father, draw me closer to you. Help me to be more like you. I need your character. I need your nature in my life. And this is where the way that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9 becomes a powerful framework for everything that we've just discussed. I I could have spent this whole message just on the Lord's Prayer, right? And honestly, teaching this whole thing is a bit difficult because one very hard thing about the Lord's Prayer is how familiar it is, right? Right? We just sort of know it just is what it is. Just we've all heard it, we've all recited it, and we, you know, it becomes so familiar that it almost loses its power. Let's try to regain some of the power this morning, okay? So real quickly, we'll look at the Lord's Prayer as a way to unlock everything we've talked about. See, remember the main purpose of prayer is fellowship. It's about communion with God. The Lord's Prayer helps to shift our prayer lives from transactional to transformational. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We start with praise. We start with adoration. Holy is the name. God is holy. And you know what? God has a name. So there's a personal nature to God. He has a name. Prayers full of adoration for God bring us into the deep, They bring us deep into the character of God, into the nature of God. See, we need to fill our heart, mind, and soul with God's nature. And so are you you falling apart right now? One of the reasons why is because we may think that God loves us, But God's love isn't real until it's in our heart. And prayer puts the love of God in our hearts. And so then the failure, the rejection, the loss, the pain, the anxiety becomes manageable. See, we recognize whenever we go through loss and crisis what we really believe about God's love. Well, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so is sweet and that's great but sometimes it doesn't hold whenever whenever the bottom falls out. And what we need in those moments is a heart set on the Father. In prayer, God's love and his nature and his character through adoring him and and praising his name, his love is put into our hearts. Not that we just know that God loves me, but but I know and I feel that that God loves me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Why do we pray your will be done? It's because we all need a deep rest, amen? And more than just a nap, we need a deep rest. A, a deep rest from the burden of us thinking that we know what is best. We are laying down our burden of being right when we pl- when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that, I am praying, God, I lay down me being right, me knowing what's best. See, this prayer, it frees us from thinking we are all knowing. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgive as we forgive. See, right after this prayer, Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, Father won't forgive you. And so prayer should reconcile us to God and to others and our inability to forgive creates an inability to repent, right? And so it's not so much that I withheld the action of forgiving so now God won't forgive me. It's that God knows that our inability to forgive is also tied to our inability to repent. And so God isn't waiting to deny our repentance because we aren't forgiving others. Jesus knows that our ability to forgive is connected to our ability to repent. And so prayer brings us into a knowledge of of needing God's mercy, and we stop viewing ourselves as better than other people, and we are compelled to forgive and walk in true repentance ourselves. The Lord's prayer... Gives us peace over our problems and motivates us to hate injustice happening around us. I need to pray. I need the Lord's Prayer. I need the Our Father because I need to take what is happening in my life and I need to set it upon the nature of God. I need to receive His love and His peace and the affirmation of my Father and then have my attention shifted towards the needs in the world and towards his will at work in the world. So we too often are consumed with worry over our problems and then we're apathetic towards the injustices around us. Prayer reverses it. Through prayer, we find peace in the loving union with our Father, and we join up with God's plan for renewal in the world. The Father loves those who are his children. And so, as we begin to end today, I would just acknowledge, having just said that, you know, prayer brings our problems to God and gives them proper context and place, that my problems, I don't have to perform my way out of them. I don't have to pray prayers to twist God's arm. I don't have to to fast hoping to manipulate God. I don't have to give, right? I I don't have to give to that televangelist on TV who said, if you give right now, you're going to get a blessing, right? I think they're the only ones getting blessed. I've seen their houses. They're doing fine. No, no, no. I'm gonna gonna set my heart on my on my father. He knows what I need. My father knows what I need. I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna lean into relationship with my heavenly father. And so here in this room today, you may be going through it. Difficulty, challenge. And so when we think about exercising spiritual disciplines, we need to do these spiritual disciplines. We need to give, we need to pray, we need to fast. You're just like, oh my goodness, Mark, this just sounds like more work. I I am crumbling right now. My life is just ripped wide open. And this feels like just more work. God is not your boss. He's your father. You're not working for him. You're loving him. You're going to the only one who has the peace, the sustenance, the provision, the love, the kindness, the forgiveness, the redemption, the renewal, the reconciliation that can bring you into a place of being able to move on and move forward into all his plans and purposes for your life. On Monday, we made the difficult decision to put our family dog down. Danny was our sweet pup. Listen, if you're not a dog person, I'm not asking you to try to understand, okay? (laughs) But those of you who are, you're like, okay, I wasn't crying, but now I am. He was only two. He had an instruction that caused more damage than what was repairable. And as a father, I had a difficult situation in front of me. And we got this dog for our family and more specifically for my seven-year-old and that monday morning before taking danny to the vet i gathered the family together and, and gave them the truth and the truth is hard and it's not easy um, when we have to face reality of our circumstances Danny would need to have a surgery and the doctor doesn't think he'd be able to live is what I told our kids. Danny is probably going to die. And so we are going to take the next hour and we're going to give Danny all of our love and we're going to snuggle him. We're going to cuddle him. We're going to hug him and we're going to tell him goodbye. The hardest thing Ian and I have done And as a loving parent, you will do anything to prevent hurt from your children. But there was no preventing this pain. We had to face it. And therein lies the key element. We. We had to face it. We have each other. And this week, that has just been challenge after challenge this week in addition to this we have had each other and our Oliver, Oliver and I spent Monday cuddled up taking turns tearing up as we confronted the pain together and my, lo- my son lost something dear to him on Monday very dear to him and as a father that hurt me but Oliver gained something that I pray is value, valuable to him as he journeys through life. And I pray it's val- valuable to you today as you think about your relationship with your heavenly father, is that he's great, gained a greater awareness that we have each other. And that feels like a platitude. And that we as adults can maybe become desensitized to that reality, but but it's powerful it's powerful to think that God will never leave you nor forsake you it's truly powerful to know that God is with you that he is Emmanuel And so God is with you believe it Jesus made the way when he was in the garden full of anxiety he's in the garden of Gethsemane full of anxiety God is Jesus in this moment he's full of fear fear about what was to come and he asked God, God, God take this from me but what does he pray? He prays the Our Father he said not my will but your will be done your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven on the cross he prays the Our Father, he says Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing Jesus' death A sinless man sacrificed, activated the Lord's prayer. See, God is our Father. His will is being done, church. His kingdom is coming. Hope in it. Believe in it. He has what we need. We are forgiven so we can forgive and we can resist evil and we can partner with God in the renewal of all creation maybe you don't pray because you feel unworthy no more jesus made the way god loves you he is with you i don't know what you've lost i don't know your current challenges i don't know your crisis But I know that many of us here find ourselves in those places and I know that God is our Heavenly Father and that He can be trusted and we can pray to Him and in Him we can find a deep rest for our souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Repent from the impure motivators. Repent from your righteousness, from the things that have gotten in the way and receive the Father's love. Why do you need to shift spiritual disciplines from transactional to transformational why think about the writer of lamentations i'll read a section from chapter three as we close today you'll see the crisis he is in but because there is a loving union because there is an understanding of who god the father is There is a plunging right into the the character of God, a realization of God's faithfulness. Because of the relational nature of prayer, we see a hope, a steadfastness, an adoration, a communion with God in the midst of tragedy. And so we read in Lamentations 3, starting in verse 14, I'll read this to you, and maybe your soul will resonate with it, and maybe God will minister to you right here, right now says in verse 14, I have become the laughingstock of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has glutted me with wormwood, He has made my teeth ground on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord." The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for salvation of the Lord. Jesus faced challenges far greater than ours, but he took time to withdraw, to commune with his father. He spent time in the silence, in the quiet places, to commune with this Father. And so I leave us with this question today, and I would love if Sam sang and worshiped. And as you worship, I pray that you would ponder this question today and that it would minister to your soul. How does my current pace of life or view of God enhance? or diminish my ability to allow God's will and presence full scope in my life? I'm gonna ask that question again. How does my current pace of life or view of God enhance or diminish my ability to allow God's will and presence full scope in my life? Is your pace too busy because you're just performing religious duty for God? Is your view of God as a boss and not your father? And are these things diminishing the scope of God's will and his presence to invade your life for you to know him as your father? Verse 26 of Chapter three, it is good that one should wait quietly for salvation of the Lord. Let us ponder this question as I pray. God, Father, At times, we can feel so alone and so distant. At times, we can feel insecure and ashamed. At times, we can feel prideful and self-righteous and selfish. Father, at times, we can feel worried and afraid and fearful, apathetic and depressed, angry and frustrated. But God, in a moment like this, on a day like today, we lay down our transactional relationship and we pick up the transformational nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your spirit being poured out among us that we may know what is the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of your love, that we may know the fullness of your nature, our Father. And so God, in a moment like this, Lord, we take inventory. We name the things that are getting in the way. Lord, we repent and we, re- and, and we turn away. God, we shift our perspective We glorify you god yes, we thank you jesus and god i pray for these your people here your children god those who you love god would you wrap them in your loving arms today jesus as we approach you lord as those would maybe pray even now prayers of deliverance prayers of 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 need prayers of adoration prayers of hope Father God as as those may be sitting here today offering up prayers in their spirit right now Father God I pray Lord that they would resist the urge to make their case God and they would stand firmly on the case made by Jesus Christ on the cross dead buried but alive we can be confident and have hope that our God our Father loves us And so we take this moment now to seek you, Jesus, to receive from you, God, to reflect and to worship you. Thank you, God.